0: So if I can uh, ask Joshua to come and take over and uh, lead us to the first panel of the day. I see the room now has gotten full. So we're delighted to have a great panel with uh, Clay Maitland, Serdan Kaptanoglu. Andreas Gatlipetru, Evans Robiero, and of course, Fred Kenny from the IMO. We look forward to a great uh, debate, discussion, I would say. <laughs> so you have
1: the, uh... Gosh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, nice, nice to be here today. Um, uh, I'm Josh Apfelroth, the corporate partner at Ked Walleter, Wickersham, and Taft. Um, very excited uh, to be here today with a, an esteemed group of panelists to talk about the future of the, of the shipping industry. To my right is uh, Andreas Petru, from uh, Columbia, Columbia Ship Management uh, Managing Director, uh, Mr. Uh, Evans Roviero from uh, Head of Projects at GMS, uh, Mr. Frederick Kenny. Uh, Director of Legal and External Affairs at the IMO uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Sedan Kaptanalu from uh, Kaptanalu Shipping as well as President-designate of, of BIMCO and uh, Mr. Clay Maitland uh, founding partner uh, mm-hmm. of uh, NIMAPA chairman of NYMAR and managing partner of the International Registries <coughs> So um, You know, we all know the shipping industry has suffered through an elongated down cycle uh through, through um, as a result of a number of factors uh, including slowing global economic growth and oversupply of vessels, uh, weakened investor confidence. Recently, of course, we all know, we, you know, we've been, um, it's begun to see a recovery in the market and return to profitability for a number of shipping companies, which has caused, I call it, cautious op- optimism among uh, ship owners and, and other industry participants. Um, that said, the hopeful outlook is, is threatened by a number of uncertainties. Um, increased trade protectionism uh, policies, uh, both uh, from U.S., China, uh, obviously, as, as well as Brexit, um, and uh, and other other regions, uh, implementation of new environmental regulations, uh, industry consolidation, and the availability of of uh, financing for for shipping companies uh, remains uh, remains in flux. Uh, the the, com- the industry's ability to navigate these challenges. Uh, while um, remaining you know, conservative and not, not causing fleet overexpansion is critical to ensure continued market, uh, market recovery. So with that, um, I think I'll, uh, I'd like to give each of our panelists a, a, an opportunity to uh, briefly describe um, what they believe to be uh, the, the largest risks and challenges facing the industry. Uh, we're lucky enough to have a diverse group of panelists with uh, unique perspectives that um, you know, vary from 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 each other's, and so I think it would be beneficial to to hear each of them uh, talk about what 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 challenges and risks they, they think the industry faces from their their unique perspective.
2: So, Andreas, uh, maybe you could could start. Thank you. Well, if I would concentrate on the ship management industry, which is uh, uh, where we are operating, the. As we all know, the regulations uh, are coming up, the one after the other, and at the same time, you have all the commercial pressure on uh, oil measures, betting approvals, and so on. So there is definitely no discount on the level of operational uh, um, uh, standards that uh, operator, operators need to have. And this is clearly, for, for us, um, uh, a risk in the sense of uh, Uh, not having uh, close enough partnerships with our clients in order to accommodate um, the standards on the level that they are supposed to be. At the same time, this is also an opportunity because um, uh, with the proper advice towards uh, the ship owners and the proper management of the ships, you can build up a much better and a much more um, uh, transparent and uh, close cooperation with the ship owners. So it's uh, it's both a risk and an opportunity the way that uh, the, the shipping industry is moving, especially as far as the new regulations and operating standards are concerned.
3: Great, thanks. Evan? Thank you. <clears throat> um, I believe the biggest opportunities right now in the ship recycling space are that we have the chance to improve standards, which have already been greatly uh, improved around the world. And we're seeing them to continue to uh to be improved every every day and certainly uh quite a bit every year it's it's a marketable difference um also obviously there's the opportunity to help balance out the uh the shipping fleets through the recycling of the tonnage with that said the greatest um risks that i I believe we're seeing today is the misinformation in the market there's a lot of um, new regulations in place that aren't properly understood there's also a lot of uh, bad information that's out in the market that's not accurate about uh, safety standards and other standards throughout the recycling uh, yards you know in different uh, countries, not just the subcontinent, but throughout the world, and uh, I think the biggest risk overall would be the overfinance of the industry, which we're currently seeing too many funds starting to enter to finance a ship recycling space, and what's, what that's doing is it's creating cash buyers who are overlevered uh, and don't have the opportunity to properly handle uh, losses therefore having to cut corners on uh, safety issues, which is something that should not be acceptable within the industry.
4: Great, Frederick please. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, and good morning, everyone. Uh, rather than talking about risks and opportunities, I think I'd rather address challenges and opportunities for the IMO, and I want to thank the organizers for inviting me, uh, as they do every year. This is a good opportunity to speak to an audience that doesn't often uh, come to the IMO and actually participate in the negotiations, so if I can provide some insight into the, the process and uh, and the outcomes, uh, I think that's really helpful for you all as, as part of the industry. Um, IMO is celebrating its, uh, this year two anniversaries, the 70th anniversary of the adoption of the IMO convention and the 60th anniversary of its entry into force and the beginning of operations of the organization. And if you look at the, what the drafters of the IMO convention were intending and go back and look at that history, what they were doing then is really what we're striving for today and that is to create the level playing field for the industry, and and doing that through creating a globally adopted, uniformly implemented regime of regulation. And we're still striving for that goal today. Are we there yet? No. Uh, And I think when we look at challenges and opportunities, you have to look at it from two perspectives. First, look at the regulatory development side. What do we need to do? what regulations are left to be created. And certainly there are some opportunities there. Martin Stopford mentioned in his presentation the decision in April of this year uh, to adopt the initial strategy for the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. He mentioned uh, that the the goal is for a 50% reduction in, uh, in carbon emissions from ship or greenhouse gas emissions from ships by 2050, but also, total elimination of greenhouse gas emissions from ships by the end of this century. Now, that certainly is going to be a challenge for the organization. He mentioned slow steaming. That's one option. But the Marine Environment Protection Committee and the member states are going to have to be looking very carefully at a lot of different options. And that work is going to start next month. And that represents a significant uh, challenge and opportunity. Uh, Implementation is another. challenge and opportunity for the organization. We're going to be hearing a lot today about, and we've already heard a lot about the 2020 sulfur rules, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. We're going to be hearing about the uh, implementation of the Ballast Water Convention, which will begin in 2020. Um, How the flag states, the port states, and the industry implement those regulations, and whether they're done in a uniform and consistent manner and they're consistently enforced represents a challenge, but also an opportunity to continue to create the level playing field for the industry. Thanks.
0: Good morning, everybody. Um, I think we live in a very interesting time, and... um, Since the morning, uh, we see presentations and with the opportunities and the risks. And now we talk about the future of shipping. I would rather to go step by step and talk about the uh, near future, which is 2020, because when we get into the 2020, we already now seeing the trade wars, tariffs. You know. And uh, all sort of uh, political instability, and on top of this, we have this 2020 sulfur cap. I personally believe, and that is also the, you know, the idea of Bimco that whatever we do for environment, we must do. So there is no doubt on that. Uh, and level playing field is always the biggest challenge and the opportunity at the same time, always. Uh, but the daily things, how we prepare ourselves for 2020 is very, very important. And uh, we already, you know, I, I can, I think, say that the industry already decides, and most of the, you know, uh, ship owners will use blend or, you know, low surface uh, bunkers. Uh, everybody is focusing on who to pay this. Uh, I think as ship owners, we should not even discuss this at all. Uh, this is not open for suggestion uh, Why because I think 2020 only can be passed successfully and this will be our test as an industry what 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 we can do really for the environment if the you know ship owners charterers uh, refineries bunkers everybody come together and work on this uh, mutually otherwise this will be uh, creating certain problems that will cause us um, a lot of time, energy, reputation. And uh, so there, therefore, I think there must be a kind of a uh, soft landing on this issue. That's why also we are, you know, uh, as BIMCO, uh, supporting the carriage band issue. And uh, I think also we must start to train our crew, our companies. There is a lot of planning ahead of us, and we should take this very seriously. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Don. Clay?
5: Uh, Thank you, uh, Joshua. Good morning. Uh, uh, I I wear several hats, as uh, Joshua indicated, and one of them is that I'm uh, one of the uh, principal owners of the uh, Marshall Islands Ship Registry. Uh, And in uh, preparing for and thinking about what I was going to say today, uh, we feel, and we've thought about this a great deal, that the biggest threat that we face, and we do face threats, there are risks in the road ahead, which were alluded to very articulately by, uh, by Martin uh, a few minutes ago when he spoke. Um, we have just passed the 10th anniversary of the collapse of Lehman Brothers and the 11th anniversary of the collapse of a, of a firm that's less well known and remembered today, Bear Stearns. It was the beginning of the Great Shipping Recession uh, with and the Great Shipping Recession that we are still in, I would suggest, began with those two events in 2007 and 2008. Uh, we have not yet. Pulled out of those recessions. Any that recession. Anybody who looks at the slides that Martin Stafford was showing us a few minutes ago can see very clearly that we have not pulled out. Uh, what haunts me and haunts us, and perhaps I'm a little bit gun shy because I'm the oldest person up here, and I also remember previous recessions. That uh, another. The fact remains that another collapse of international finance markets, credit markets is indeed possible. And as Martin very briefly said, he skated over it, but he thinks it is likely, and I do too. I think that within the next 10 years, we're not really going to be talking about scrubbers. We're not going to be talking about the Ballast Water Convention. We're going to be talking about the depleted state of the private sector in the global shipping industry. Uh, When we were here, we weren't here. We were in uh, Moorgate last year for this conference. Uh, We were not talking about tariff wars. We are now. Uh, We were not talking about a no-deal Brexit and the problems that that might cause with trade in Europe, not just with this country. We are now. Uh, We were not talking about uh, ruptures or breaches or damage to the global maritime supply chain. We are now. At least I wasn't talking about it. Maybe somebody else was. Uh, Is another collapse of the capital markets possible? very definitely. What will the effect of that be on all the other things that we've just talked about here? Uh, And I think we need to be very realistic about this. Uh, Certainly, uh, in terms of our projections, and in what we are thinking about, and I'm particularly mindful of what uh, uh, Fred Kenny has just mentioned, uh, and, and Sudan, we have to look at what the shipping industry is going to be capable of doing in the next 10 years. And I say 10 years because these recessions, as, as Martin indicated, seem to have a 10-year life cycle. They come back again and again. And I've seen them since I really got active in, in this end of the business back in 1976. Um, I'm like, like Joshua, I'm from New York, and uh, you're all familiar, I suppose, with the Frank Sinatra hit New York, New York, which has become sort of the anthem for New York City. One of the phrases in New York, New York, if you can, if you can forgive me for not singing it, is uh, the term king of the hill. China is still the king of the hill, and hopefully for the foreseeable future will continue to be an engine that uh, powers a great deal of the commercial shipping industry. But there again, if the, the, the all bets are off, or as you would say here in London, all wages are off, now that the trade war that we have been talking about has become a reality. Uh, if, I sound, if I sound rather bleak, uh, it's because I am. Um, when the capital markets began to crumble in 2007, they did not involve shipping. Shipping was not involved in the collapse of Lehman Brothers. Shipping was not involved in the collapse of Bear Stearns. Shipping was not involved in the, in the gradual collapse of RBS, uh, Northern Rock, or any of the uh, economic uh, crises that struck the British banking system at that time. Effects uh, that, of, as you all know, are still with us today here and throughout the world. Um, can it happen again in a different way uh, I would say yes, and I think that what we discuss here today, and what we look in terms of our own business projections and plans for the next ten years, we must take that into account. Thank you. I know. I
1: so. that, thanks, Clay. Um, so, so appreciate that. Let's um, maybe let's let's talk a little bit more about the, the 2020 deadline. Uh, and uh, sadan had had some very interesting points about. Uh, collaboration among industry participants and, and ensuring an orderly transition, and that, that follows, um, you know, recent guidance from the ICS and, and from Bimco and a few uh, major flag states uh, around uh, a desire for some more clarity uh, uh, for for an orderly transition, um, perhaps a, a form, you know a formal transition period. Um, so, so, Fred, maybe um, if you could, Frederick, maybe if you could talk a little bit about. Um, you know, IMO's uh, views with respect to uh, the expectation around, uh, you know, such a transition period and ensuring that um, these these rules are implemented in a way uh, where ship owners can um, where where ship owners and and all industry participants are able to effectively comply with them while uh, while while, while maintaining their their operations and business needs. Well, uh, thank you, Joshua. Uh, First,
4: There has been a lot of talk, and you've seen things, seen stories in the media of people suggesting that the date somehow will be delayed. Uh, I think the chances of that happening are actually very, very slim to none. And even if someone were to propose amending the decision or amending the rules, the, the IMO treaty process works in such a way that the quickest you can get a rule change into effect is 22 months, and that's past January 1st, 2020. So that date will happen, that the, the rule will go into effect on that date. Um, and certainly the IMO and the, the member states have been working to develop, uh, as Martin mentioned, uh, the, the guidelines for the implementation of the 2020 sulfur rules. Uh, should be approved by the Marine Environment Protection Committee that f- this fall. They had a, uh, a working group meeting that was quite productive in July. Uh, it's a solid set of guidelines that the industry can use. Um, you have heard some talk, and there has been uh, a paper submitted to the, the current MEPC. Uh, and BIMCO is one of the sponsors, uh, regarding the experience building phase, as they term it. And that certainly will occur, and it occurs when any regulation at the IMO is adopted and enters into force. Uh, the, the system, the regulatory system at the IMO is such that it allows for an experience building phase in all instances and the regime is flexible enough so that if there are adjustments that need to be made or changes that need to be made, they can be made. Uh, And there is actually um, uh, an experience building phase almost built into the regulatory regime right now because as I said, the, the sulfur cap will go into effect on January 1st, 2020. If the Marine Environment Protection Committee adopts, the carriage ban that they're expected to adopt in October, and it's up to the member states, but the expectation is it will be adopted. That carriage ban won't go into effect until August or September of 2018. So between the time the rules go into effect and the time that a ship um, that does not have a scrubber uh, has to remove all the non-compliant fuel from its tanks, there is some time built in where uh there will be lessons learned there will be the uh, enforcement and compliance ramp up and we can gauge and look at how the rule
1: is actually being implemented thank you um maybe just one follow-up um as far as uh, compliance goes and and, and inspections go what's what's the i guess the plan going forward for um inspections, uh scope and timing of those inspections, um, and any any penalties and fees that may be imposed as a result of uh noncompliance? Well the, the IMO treaty regime
4: across the board is a flag state regime. So uh, in the first instance uh it's going to be up to the flag states to ensure that the ships flying their flag are implementing the rules. However in this case, Given the nature of bunkering and that sort of thing, uh, port state control is going to play a, a significant part in the effective implementation of this rule. Uh, certainly there are devices yes. out there where, where, um, where uh, port state control officers and flag state inspectors can inspect bunkers just fairly quickly and see if the fuel that's being carried in the tanks is compliant. In terms of penalties, uh, that again is up to the port states and the flag states depending on their domestic regime, which I mentioned in my opening remarks, the the playing field is not level there. You have a wide variance in terms of how different port states and flag states, uh, how their penalty regime is structured, how their compliance regime is structured, and how uniformly it's enforced and we recognize that at the IMO and we're working to narrow that gap but uh, it certainly
1: is there thank you um, so Don, uh, obviously a lot of talk about you know the decision or determination to, to install scrubbers I know you wear a number of different hats um, as a ship owner shipyard owner and, uh, uh, and president designee of, uh, of BIMCO um, h- how do you see um, ship owners generally, you know, considering the implementation of or installation of of scrubbers, and um, and do you see it as a as a you know as a, as far as a trend goes, uh, more popular uh, decision to install them uh, more recently versus uh, what people had been thinking, you know, called even six months ago.
0: Um, thank you, Joshua. Um, first of all, let me just you know comment to gentlemen, yes, if I so. may. Um, Clay is absolutely right. There is a very big possibility that there might be a storm ahead. And, you know, ship owners are very lucky to do international business. But at the same time, we are exposed to too many rigs out of our hands. So what we can do is we have to avoid the eye of the, you know, uh, storm if possible. Uh, Because, you know, we have a very famous word keep keep on saying that, you know, Seas will always be high, you just, you know, have to know, you know, sail uh, on it. But the thing is, when there is an eye of the storm, then there is no, you know, nothing you can do. So we have to be very careful about this. But there is a little we can do. And I think the, the biggest thing we can do, we can keep on, you know, our focus on the supply side. Because, you know, eventually whatever happens in the economies, Demand is always, you know, rising in a way on the horizon, uh, but we are ruining, ruining, you know, whole game for us as a ship owners by ordering more vessel, more vessel, and more vessels. And thank you so much, uh, Frederick, because you know IMO has been doing a great job. Uh, sometimes, you know, individual ship owners we do, you know, complain, uh, but you know if you think the 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 worst. <laughs> the members of of this uh, organization and to be able to come up with a you know agreed uh, regulation on the whole maritime industry is something very difficult and uh, very hard to achieve and we always support IMO we should always support IMO because we have to ignore the regional regulations that is very very dangerous for shipping and when it comes to the scrubbers I think the industry mainly is going for the you know either blend or low sulphur uh, bunker, but for the bigger tonnage, it makes sense to go with the you know scrubbers. And uh, in the shipyards, we see now more uh, requires, and you also on the scrubbers you see more orders. But even if all the shipyards in the world will be ready to install scrubbers. You cannot pass, you know, uh, even a fraction of the total shipping fleet. But this, you know, vessels happens to be the biggest one. So uh, one way or the other, uh, they should comply with the sulfur regulation. I think that is the most important part of it. Uh, but uh, we will see a lot of, you know, daily discussions. I really think it's very important because, you know. As, 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 as BIMCO, we will always say that you know, robust enforcement of a regulation. For what? For you know, keeping the level playing field. Uh, and because this regulation will be in the hands of the you know, maritime states, uh, this will be, uh, we, we have to see this, how it's going to develop. Uh, what is important from our side that we should not penalize the innocent party. You know, because sometimes simply, you know, uh, there is nothing you can do. So that's why we are also, you know, having now a bunker clause, sulfur clause, a contract in the contract. I cannot give you a lot of details about this because it is going to be adopted in November. But I think it will help the ship owners. Also, we are, you know, searching a way if we can have like simple things, like standard form, if a ship owner is not able to get a comply fuel, for example. Mm. You know. And we need more guidelines uh for this. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um and I, and just one follow up there. So so when you say an innocent party, um is is it what, what maybe could you just add a little more colour as to what you would view as an innocent party? Is it um somebody who has can we, you know come
5: talk across you a little
1: bit Joshua, of course, yeah.
5: And, and uh because Please. I don't want to leave this topic, Admiral Please Kenny do. has made a and and Sedan have made some very good points. One of the uh, things that I think Admiral Kenny might want to comment on uh, is the recent paper introduced by the certain flag states, and and, uh, uh, which addresses uh, a concern that we all should have, namely that (coughs) non-compliant fuels may be out there. Uh, Fuel switching is certainly going to be an issue, and it's not by any means certain that the actual machinery of existing vessels uh, is going to be uh, adaptable to the uh, uh, purpose uh, that we're talking about here. Uh, If ships lose power at sea or entering ports, uh, there are going to be major safety issues, which is squarely within the remit of the International Maritime Organization. Um, A number of the major flag states, in fact, virtually all of them, are very concerned about this. Uh, We are going to be the lead organizations in in implementing uh, the uh, regulations that are coming into force, as we always are. Um, And recent experience uh, has not been very encouraging in terms of what the the class societies are able to do uh, as recognized organizations. perfectly willing to explain to you what that means for those of you who are a little bit new to all this. But most of the flag states, including the United Kingdom, use uh, organizations that are not necessarily governmental to implement uh, these regulations and to inspect the ships and to ensure that fuel is tested properly. This, This, by the way, stretches across nearly all the IMO conventions. Uh, what we uh, are concerned about is the safety issues that are raised by, uh, by all of this. Uh, I realize that uh, f- this is a conference f- primarily on ship finance, but uh, one of the things that we've learned in the <laughs> recent years, in addition to the dealing with the economic crisis that hit our industry, is that safety issues do have an economic impact. Uh, they, there is a real impact on... Uh, ship finance, uh, who's going to pay the bill for all of these things? When things go wrong, um, is the IMO going to adjust its perspective to take a greater role, play a greater role in enforcing the, the uh, conventions and seeing to with that the flag states uh, enforce their obligations under these conventions? Those are, those are very important things that do affect uh, pounds, shillings, and pence. Uh, And uh, we are not yet there uh, in terms of of, uh, resolving these issues. Uh, Just as we were not there when uh, the uh, uh, use of oily water separators came in. And and, uh, we're still wrestling with some of those implications, you know, 30, 40 years down the road since the idea of oily water separators was first introduced into international law. Uh, It's very easy for us to talk about rules, regulations, international conventions, and what's going to happen in 2020. But getting the actual job done is sometimes, as the Germans say, the devil is in the details. I'm sorry, but I I didn't mean to cut into you. But this uh, this ain't as simple as it seems to be. Uh, And it isn't going to be going forward something, well, we passed 2020. My fleet has scrubbers. I'm fine. That's not necessarily true from the ship owner's point of view. You may have scrubbers. You may have all new ships. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to meet the requirements of the international regime. And that's something I think has implications for all of us, including any bankers that may be present here today. Sure. Well,
1: uh, Frederick, I'd give you an opportunity to respond to Clay's questions. (laughs)
4: <laughs> I see there's only nine minutes left and I could easily chew up all that time responding to We're both questions. we both uh, lawyers. Admiral, so. Admiral Kennedy is a lawyer. He didn't say it so, but he is. <laughs> well, um, geez, where to start? Uh, certainly with respect to the potential safety implications that have been raised in the paper that Clay mentioned that was submitted by the flag states and some of the nongovernmental organizations at, at IMO. The Maritime Safety Committee will be looking at some of the concerns that have been raised, or actually all the concerns that have been raised at, at their meeting in December. Um, there have been issues raised, for example, about using different blends, and if they're incompatible, could it cause your engine to, to fail? And, and certainly um, fuel switching has been uh, an issue in the past and a safety issue, and, and I would I would agree with what Clay says, is that safety issues and environmental issues can become financial issues very quickly if there is a major casualty. And you really need to look, When I, I mentioned at the beginning of my remarks that we're celebrating anniversaries. Well, last year we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Torrey Canyon disaster, which was really a sea change for the industry and the IMO. But if you look at how the industry has improved its safety record and its environmental record since 1967, it is remarkable. And the rate of casualties, the rate of spills is very low. And I think the the member states of the IMO are committed to keeping that record and continuing that improvement while improving and strengthening the regulations. So that is certainly on the mind of the member states and the NGOs uh, as they continue to to debate the implementation of these regulations and the further development of them. So that's a two-minute answer to something I could
1: probably talk about (laughs) for a half an hour. Thanks. Um, And I guess, uh,
2: Andreas, maybe you could talk a little bit about the charterer's perspective on on these issues. Well, on the charterer side, okay. on the scrubbers, we all know it's a commercial decision between charterers and owners. So our role as managers in compliance is to make sure that for each ship you have a risk assessment, you have uh, consulted with the owners, and you have given the proper advice with regards to uh, the way forward. whether uh, scrubbers would be in installed or not. Even if you don't install crub- uh, scrubbers, you have to see how uh, perhaps you, modif- you need to modify the tanks, you have to check the piping of the ship, and so on. So there's cu- quite a number of things that need to be done on the operational uh, side. Now, with regards to charterers, um, what we have experienced is that there is not a single charterer that will say, no, I don't want scrubbers. So they would opt for, opt for it and they would say, uh, yes. Please go ahead. And then if you ask them, would you pay for it? The answer is no. <laughs> so uh, it, it's really a question of how close you are with the charterers and how the ships have been employed. Um, as uh, correctly, it was mentioned for bigger ships, it, it could make sense. But again, it depends who is paying for the fuel. And uh, the bottom line with the charterers is that um, even if there is a, a delta that they are willing to pay with regards to the, uh, to the uh, uh, different uh, price for or not uh, going for scrubbers, it's, it's very simple that you need to negotiate not only the cost but also based on the price differential for maintaining the scrubbers and how long this will take. So it's it's not really a decision that uh, there is a, a, a yes or a no. It really de- it depends individually on the ship, on the trade, uh, and the relationship between uh, charter and, uh, and owner.
1: So, um,
2: so they won't pay for it. We, we I
1: think we get that. Definitely uh, not. Will, will um, are they? Do they expect you know some some portion of the of the savings to be passed through to them, um,
2: or 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 or? Um, well, yeah. it depends. I mean, there are some charterers that they are owners as well, and they trade their own cargos, and um, uh, and we are involved dealing with some of these um, companies as well. And they have even new buildings that they decide that they go for scrubbers. So that's that. That's a category of people that um, uh, they want to to go for it. But the vast majority of the charterers, uh, the way we have seen it, they are mayor, they are selective and. Uh, they would not expect that they pay for the cost. They unfortunately they would uh, they would expect the owners to pay for it.
1: Thanks, um, Evan. From a scrapping perspective, um, h- how do you see the impact of these regulations being, um, you know, affecting or impacting uh, your your business? Are you already seeing uh, some changes? And uh, you know, how do you how do you foresee uh, it going in the future?
3: Thank you, um I think going forward you know there's there's a big expectation that all these ships are just going to disappear from the market and that they're probably going to be recycled. Um, we don't believe that to be the case. it's not like this is going to happen in one foul swoop, and all of a sudden there's going to be a you know <laughs> a massive uh, a massive drive of ships towards the beach. It's likely that most ship owners you know they're pretty much all already planning for this, so we will see some ships that of course you know will will feel the effects of this and go to the uh the recycling markets right away. But the odds are it'll be a very gradual uh, change in the industry. And you'll see these ships probably operate, even take a VLCC. On larger ships, it probably makes sense to have a scrubber, but that doesn't mean it necessarily has to be fitted. You know, you'll see older VLCCs probably go towards more um, you know, storage business or, or other types of, of, of trades until they phase out because of their dry docking. Um, the same thing with smaller ships. You know, the odds are owners are already planning for this to happen. So they'll just continue to operate the vessels, maybe earn a little bit less, but they'll still operate the ships, even the older ones. And you'll see more of a natural cycle um, in terms of recycling.
1: Right. So um, we're running short on time, but I, I do want to touch on um, what, what Clay was talking about earlier around uh, trade wars, uh, you mm-hmm. know, tariffs, the uh, mm-hmm. you know, potential for a no-deal, a no-deal Brexit. Um, and, and other trade protectionist policies. Um, so, it, it's kind of a two-part question. Maybe Clay and, and Sudan are probably the best people to talk to this. But um, w- r- right now, obviously, volumes are, haven't necessarily materially decreased um, as a result of the tariffs. But um, you know, the first you know, first question is what. You know what, what impact have you seen today um, in anticipation of of, of potent- this potentially getting worse and, and obviously in reaction to to the already imposed tariffs and 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 what do you view as as the
5: perfect storm right what what, what could what's the worst case scenario? You want me to take that first, Sudan? Just very. Bri- I, I will actually be brief for once in my life. Uh, I think that the perfect storm are the is the uh, trifecta, as we say in America, that. Uh, We uh, uh, have uh, a continued trade war, and I think, between the United States and China. I think that trade war is very much influenced by the uh, uh, political and even the military uh, disagreements between the United States and China, which will, whether we like it or not, have the effect of dragging in the EU and, and other other uh, major groups, trade groups within the uh, in, in the global community. Uh, I think that's a fact. I think it's a given, and I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. Uh, as far as the uh, you know potential that I've alluded to of a shipping recession coming again, that's the second part of it, and I think that that will have a, a knock-on effect uh, even to the work as I said uh, or hinted at uh, of the IMO. Uh, and uh, uh, there, there—that is a very real possibility uh, that we—and and the third thing that you've alluded to uh, is is the fact that Brexit may not simply be an Anglo-EU phenomenon, but may in fact have a, a continued inter- impact on international trade. Uh, the latest seems to be of, of informed opinion, not mine, but informed opinion is that you may end up with a so-called No Deal Brexit. Uh, which which could have, uh, you know, local but very serious commercial implications. Uh, We should not ignore the fact that we're sitting in perhaps the world's leading shipping capital, with apologies to our Greek colleagues and to to my own friends in the United States. Uh, London is still the major ship finance center. Uh, Any disruption caused by Brexit uh, to that status uh, is going to be. Uh, uh, it's going to affect all of us. It's going to affect our industry. It's going to affect finance. Uh, it's going to affect insurance. It's going to affect shipbroking. All of these areas are subject to uh, any disruption of, of the, the the geographic center that is the city of London, the square mile. Uh, and I think that that is the third possible thing that would you know, if not, if not damage the industry would certainly change the calculus of the industry and how it is run. Uh, I'm going to a dinner tomorrow night with the people who run Maritime London in another part of the city. And one of the things that's going to inevitably come up at that dis- dinner and discussion, which will include the shipping minister of the United Kingdom, is the challenge posed by Singapore. Now, we're all in a global industry. Forgive me for r- go rambling on. But the global industry that we're in, from my point of view, my, my company has 28 some odd offices around the world. Uh, is, is, we're content to do our business from Singapore, from New York, from Piraeus, or from here. But not the, the entire industry is not quite in that same posture. And as the power blocks shift, including the power within IMO to get things done, we may see if we're here again next year and the year after that we may see some We'll know a lot more after March, which is when either Britain quote crashes out of brexit or not uh, Will be a, a factor if that's a factor. We're going to know uh, Within a few a few, a few weeks after Christmas, and it could very well affect the calculus of, of a great many of the people in the industry I'm sorry to go on so long though Usurped your functions, Mr. Chairman. I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. <laughs>
0: I, I will be very brief, but not like Clay. I will be, <laughs> will be genuinely. You will be genuine. You will be
5: truthful. I'm right? no, speaking for President we, Trump. Because
0: we have a, we have a I think, um, we have a very fundamental problem. And this is beyond shipping. And, you know, after globalization, now the world is global, integrated. And there is a big benefit of it, uh, the biggest disadvantage. If there will be a you know, problem, like recession, then it affects everybody, and more than it should have sometimes. And now what I see in the world, that's why I said it's a fundamental thing, that everybody wants the old, good world, which is gone and never going to come back, unfortunately. So that's why we see this war. So that's why we see this projection. Pro- fascism is rising. I mean, hello, guys. So all this is happening because we want to old-fashioned our world to be exist. And I am sorry, in 10 years' time, I don't see this will happen. We are either must change to something else or we will suffer as long as it takes. Thank you. I'm uh, sorry for not being optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, on
1: that note, um, thank you uh, everybody um, for, uh, for your participation. And uh, I think, you know, we're out of time, uh, Nicholas. But I uh, appreciate you, appreciate it. Okay. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure.